This is the SFF Audio Podcast. Today's podcast is a reading of Human Is by Philip K. Dick. It's read by Julia Morgan. It runs 33 minutes, and we will be discussing it afterwards. Jill Herrick's blue eyes filled with tears. She gazed at her husband in unspeakable horror. You're, you're hideous, she wailed. Lester Herrick continued working, arranging heaps of notes and graphs in precise piles. Hideous, he stated, is a value judgment. It contains no factual information. He sent a report tape on Centauran parasitic life whizzing through the desk scanner. Merely an opinion, an expression of emotion, nothing more. Jill stumbled back to the kitchen. Listlessly, she waved her hand to trip the stove into activity. Conveyor belts in the wall hummed to life, hurrying food from the underground storage lockers for the evening meal. She turned to face her husband one last time. Not even for a little while, she begged. Not even... Not even for a month. When he comes, you can tell him. If you haven't the courage, I'll do it. I can't have a child running around here. I have too much work to do. This report on Beetlejuice 11 is due in ten days. Lester dropped a spool on Fommelhut and fossil implements into the scanner. What's the matter with your brother? Why can't he take care of his own child? Jill dabbed at swollen eyes. Don't you understand? I want Gus here. I begged Frank to let him come, and now you? I'll be glad when he's old enough to be turned over to the government. Lester's thin face twisted in annoyance. Damn it, Jill, isn't dinner ready yet? It's been ten minutes. What's wrong with that stove? It's almost ready. The stove showed a red signal light. The robent waiter had come out of the wall and was waiting expectantly to take the food. Jill sat down and blew her small nose violently. In the living room, Lester worked on unperturbed. His work. His research. Day after day. Lester was getting ahead. There was no doubt of that. His lean body was bent like a coiled spring over the tape scanner, cold grey eyes taking in the information feverishly, analysing, appraising, his conceptual faculties operating like well-greased machinery. Jill's lips trembled in misery and resentment. Gus, little Gus, how could she tell him? Fresh tears welled up in his eyes, never to see the chubby little fellow again. He could never come back, because his childish laughter and play bothered Lester, interfered with his research. The stove clicked to green, the food slid out into the arms of the robent. Soft chimes sounded to announce dinner. I hear it. Lester grated. He snapped off the scanner and got to his feet. I suppose he'll come while we're eating. I can rid Frank and ask... No. Might as well get it over with. Lester nodded impatiently to the robot. All right. Put it down. His thin lips set in an angry line. Damn it, don't dawdle. I want to get back to my work. 
Little Gus came trailing into the house as they were finishing dinner. Jill gave a cry of joy. Gussie! She ran to sweep him up in her arms. I'm so glad to see you. Watch out for my tiger, Gus muttered. He dropped his little grey kitten onto the rug and it rushed off under the couch. He's hiding! Lester's eyes flickered as he studied the little boy and the tip of grey tail extending from under the couch. Why do you call it a tiger? It's nothing but an alley cat. Gus looked hurt. He scowled. He's a tiger. He's got stripes. Tigers are yellow and a great deal bigger. You might as well learn to classify things by their correct names. Lester, please, Jill pleaded. Be quiet, her husband said crossly. Gus is old enough to shed childish illusions and develop a realistic orientation. What's wrong with the psych testers? Don't they straighten this sort of nonsense out? Gus ran and snatched up his tiger. You leave him alone. Lester contemplated the kitten. A strange, cold smile played about his lips. Come down to the lab sometime, Gus. We'll show you lots of cats. We use them in our research. Cats, guinea pigs, rabbits. Lester, Jill gasped. How can you? Lester laughed thinly. Abruptly he broke off and returned to his desk. Now clear out of here. I have to finish these reports and don't forget to tell Gus. Gus got excited. Tell me what? His cheeks flushed, his eyes sparkled. What is it? Something for me? A secret? Jill's heart was like lead. She put her hand heavily on the child's shoulder. Come on, Gus. We'll go sit out in the garden, and I'll tell you. Bring... Bring your tiger. A click. The emergency vid sender lit up. Instantly, Lester was on his feet. Be quiet. He ran to the sender, breathing rapidly. Nobody speak. Jill and Gus paused at the door. A confidential message was sliding from the slot into the dish. Lester grabbed it up and broke the seal. He studied it intently. What is it? Jill asked. Anything bad? Bad? Lester's face shone with a deep inner glow. No, not bad at all. He glanced at his watch. Just time. Let's see, I'll need. What is it? I'm going on a trip. I'll be gone two or three weeks. Rexa 4 is into the charted area. Rexa 4? You're going there? Jill clasped her hands eagerly. Oh, I've always wanted to see an old system, old ruins and cities. Lester, can I come along? Can I go with you? We've never took a vacation, and you've always promised. Lester Herrick stared at his wife in amazement. You, he said, you go along. He laughed unpleasantly. Now hurry and get my things together. I've been waiting for this a long time. He rubbed his hands together in satisfaction. You can keep the boy here until I'm back, but no longer. Rex of four, I can hardly wait. You'll have to make allowances, Frank said. After all, he's a scientist. I don't care, Jill said. I'm leaving him. As soon as he gets back from Rex of four, I've made up my mind. Her brother was silent, deep in thought. 
he stretched his feet out into the lawn of the little garden. "'Well, if you leave him, you'll be free to marry again. "'You're still classed as sexually adequate, aren't you?' "'Jill nodded firmly. "'You bet I am. I wouldn't have any trouble. "'Maybe I can find somebody who likes children.' "'You think a lot of children,' Frank perceived. "'Gus loves to go visit you, but he doesn't like Lester. "'Les needles him.' "'I know. This past week has been heaven with him gone.' Jill patted her soft blonde hair, blushing prettily. I've had fun. Makes me feel alive again. When'll he be back? Any day. Jill clenched her small fists. We've been married five years, and every year it's worse. He's so... so inhuman. Utterly cold and ruthless. Him and his work. Day and night. Les is ambitious. He wants to get to the top in his field. Frank lit a cigarette lazily. A pusher. Well, maybe he'll do it. What's he in? Toxicology. He works out new poisons for military. He invented the copper sulfate skin lime they used against Callisto. It's a small field. Now take me. Frank leaned contentedly against the wall of the house. There are thousands of clearance lawyers. I could work for years and never create a ripple. I'm content just to be. I do my job. I enjoy it. I wish Lester felt that way. Maybe he'll change. He'll never change, Jill said bitterly. I know that now. That's why I've made up my mind to leave him. He'll always be the same. Lester Herrick came back from Rex or Four a different man. Beaming happily, he deposited his anti-grav suitcase in the arms of the waiting Robant. Thank you, he smiled. Thank you. Jill gasped speechlessly. Les, what? Lester removed his hat, bowing a little. Good day, my dear. You're looking lovely. Your eyes are clear and blue. "'Sparkling like some virgin lake, fed by mountain streams,' he sniffed. "'Do I smell a delicious repast warming on the hearth?' "'Oh, Lester!' Jill blinked uncertainly, faint hope swelling in her bosom. "'Lester, what's happened to you? You're so, so different!' "'Am I, my dear?' Lester moved about the house, touching things and sighing. "'What a dear little house!' So sweet and friendly. You don't know how wonderful it is to be here. Believe me. I'm afraid to believe it, Jill said. Believe what? That you mean all this. That you're not the way you were. The way you've always been. What way is that? Mean. Mean and cruel. I... Lester frowned, rubbing his lip. Hmm, interesting. He brightened. Well, that's all in the past. What's for dinner? I'm faint with hunger. Jill eyed him uncertainly as she moved into the kitchen. Anything you want, Lester? You know our stove covers the maximum select list. Of course. Lester coughed rapidly. Well, shall we try sirloin steak, medium... Smothered in onions, with mushroom sauce, and white rolls, with hot coffee. Perhaps 
ice cream and apple pie for dessert. You never seemed to care much about food, Jill said thoughtfully. Oh? You always said you hoped eventually they'd make intravenous intake universally applicable. She studied her husband intently. Lester? What's happened? Nothing. Nothing at all. Lester carelessly took his pipe out and lit it rapidly, somewhat awkwardly. Bits of tobacco drifted to the rug. He bent nervously down and tried to pick them up again. Please go about your tasks and don't mind me. Perhaps I can help you prepare. That is, can I do anything to help? No, Jill said. I can do it. You go ahead with your work if you want. Work? Your research. In toxins. Toxins? Lester showed confusion. Well, for heaven's sake. Toxins. Devil take it. What, dear? I mean, I really feel too tired just now. I'll work later. Lester moved vaguely around the room. I think I'll just sit and enjoy being home again. Off that awful Rex or four. Was it awful? Horrible. A spasm of disgust crossed Lester's face. Dry and dead. Ancient. Squeezed to a pulp by wind and sun. A dreadful place, my dear. I'm sorry to hear that. I always wanted to visit it. Heaven forbid, Lester cried feelingly. You stay right here, my dear, with me, the... the two of us. His eyes wandered about the room. Two, yes. Terra is a wonderful planet, moist and full of life. He beamed happily. Just right. I don't understand it, Jill said. Repeat all the things you remember, Frank said. His robot pencil poised itself alertly. The changes you've noticed in him, I'm curious. Why? No reason. Go on. You say you sensed it right away? That he was different? I noticed it at once. The expression on his face. Not that hard, practical look. A sort of mellow look. Relaxed. Tolerant. A sort of calmness. I see, Frank said. What else? Jill peered nervously through the back door into the house. He can't hear us, can he? No, he's inside playing with Gus, in the living room. They're Venusian otter men today. Your husband built an otter slide down at his lab. I saw him unwrapping it. His talk. His what? The way he talks. His choice of words. Words he never used before. Whole new phrases. Metaphors. I never heard him use a metaphor in all our five years together. He said metaphors were inexact, misleading, and... And what? The pencil scratched busily. And they're strange words, old words, words you don't hear any more. Archaic phraseology? Frank asked tensely. Yes. Jill paced back and forth across the small lawn, her hands in the pockets of her plastic shorts. Formal words, like something... Something out of a book. Exactly. You've noticed it? I noticed it. Frank's face was grim. Go on. Jill stopped pacing. 
What's on your mind? Do you have a theory? I want to know more facts, she reflected. He plays, with Gus. He plays and jokes, and he, he eats. Didn't he eat before? Not like he does now. Now he loves food. He goes in the kitchen and tries endless combinations. He and the stove get together and cook up all sorts of weird things. I thought he'd put on weight. He's gained ten pounds. He eats, smiles and laughs. He's constantly polite. Jill glanced away coyly. He's even romantic. He always said that was irrational. And he's not interested in his work. His research in toxins. I see. Frank chewed his lip. Anything more? One thing puzzles me very much. I've noticed it again and again. What is it? He seems to have strange lapses of... A burst of laughter. Lester Herrick, eyes bright with merriment, came rushing out of the house, little Gus behind. We have an announcement, Lester cried. An announcement, Gus echoed. Frank folded his notes up and slid them into his coat pocket. The pencil hurried after them. He got slowly to his feet. What is it? You make it, Lester said, taking little Gus's hand and leading him forward. Gus's plump face screwed up in concentration. I'm going to come live with you, he stated. Anxiously he watched Jill's expression. Lester says I can. Can I? Can I, Aunt Jill? Her heart flooded with incredible joy. She glanced from Gus to Lester. Do you... do you really mean it? Her voice was almost inaudible. Lester put his arm around her, holding her close to him. Of course we mean it, he said gently. His eyes were warm and understanding. We wouldn't tease you, my dear. No teasing, Gus shouted excitedly. No more teasing. He and Lester and Jill grew close together. Never again. Frank stood a little way off, his face grim. Jill noticed him and broke away abruptly. What is it? she faltered. Is anything? When you're quite finished, Frank said to Lester Herrick, I'd like you to come with me. A chill clutched Jill's heart. What is it? Can I come too? Frank shook his head. He moved toward Lester ominously. Come on, Herrick, let's go. You and I are going to take a little trip. The three federal clearance agents took up positions a few feet from Lester Herrick. Vibrotubes gripped alertly. Clearance Director Douglas studied Herrick for a long time. You're sure? he said finally. Absolutely, Frank stated. When did he get back from Rex of Four? A week ago. And the change was noticeable at once? His wife noticed it as soon as she saw him. There's no doubt it occurred on Rexor, Frank paused significantly. And you know what that means. I know. Douglas walked slowly around the seated man, examining him from every angle. Lester Herrick sat quietly, his coat neatly folded across his knee. He rested his hands on his ivory-topped cane, his face calm and expressionless. 
He wore a soft grey suit, a subdued necktie, French cuffs and shiny black shoes. He said nothing. Their methods are simple and exact, Douglas said. The original psychic contents are removed and stored in some sort of suspension. The injection of the substitute contents is instantaneous. Lester Herrick was probably poking around the Rexor City ruins, ignoring the safety precautions, shield or manual screen, and they got him. The seated man stirred. I'd like very much to communicate with Jill, he murmured. She surely is becoming anxious. Frank turned away, face choked with revulsion. God, it's still pretending. Director Douglas restrained himself with the greatest effort. It's certainly an amazing thing. No physical changes. You could look at it and never know. He moved toward the seated man, his face hard. Listen to me, whatever you call yourself. Can you understand what I say? Of course, Lester Herrick answered. Did you really think you'd get away with it? We caught the others, the ones before you, all ten of them, even before they got here. Douglas grinned coldly. Vibro raid them one after another. The colour left Lester Herrick's face. Sweat came out on his forehead. He wiped it away with a silk handkerchief from his breast pocket. You're not fooling us. All terror is alerted for you, Rexorians. I'm surprised you got off Rexor at all. Herrick must have been extremely careless. We stopped the others aboard ship, fried them out in deep space. Herrick had a private ship, the seated man murmured. He bypassed the check station going in. No record of his arrival existed. He was never checked. Fry it, Douglas grated. The three clearance agents lifted their tubes, moving forward. No, Frank shook his head. We can't. It's a bad situation. What do you mean? Why can't we? We fried the others. They were caught in deep space. This is terror. Terran law, not military law, applies. Frank waved towards the seated man. And it's in a human body. It comes under regular civil laws. We've got to prove it's not Lester Herrick, that it's a Rexorian infiltrator. It's going to be tough, but it can be done. How? His wife, Herrick's wife, her testimony. Jill Herrick can assert the difference between Lester Herrick and this thing. She knows, and I think we can make it stand up in court. It was late afternoon. Frank drove his surface cruiser slowly along. Neither he nor Jill spoke. So that's it, Jill said at last. Her face was grey, her eyes dry and bright, without emotion. I knew it was too good to be true. She tried to smile. It seemed so wonderful. I know, Frank said. It's a terrible damn thing. If only... Why? Jill said. Why did he... did it... do this? Why did it take Lester's body? Rexafor is old, dead, a dying planet. Life is dying out. 
I remember now. He, it, said something like that. Something about Rexor, that it was glad to get away. The Rexorians are an old race. The few that remain are feeble. They've been trying to migrate for centuries, but their bodies are too weak. Some tried to migrate to Venus, and died instantly. They worked out this system about a century ago. But it knows so much. About us. It speaks our language. Not quite. The changes you mentioned. The odd diction. You see, the Rexorians have only a vague knowledge of human beings. A sort of ideal abstraction taken from Terran objects that have found their way to Rexor. Books, mostly. Secondary data like that. The Rexorian idea of terror is based on centuries-old Terran literature, romantic novels from the past, language, custom, manners from our old Terran books. That accounts for the strange archaic quality to it. It has studied terror, all right, but in an indirect and misleading way. Frank grinned wryly. The Rexorians are two hundred years behind the times, which is a break for us, that's how we're able to detect them. Is this sort of thing common? Does it happen often? It seems unbelievable. Jill rubbed her forehead wearily. Dreamlike. It's hard to realise that it actually happened. I'm just beginning to understand what it means. The galaxy is full of alien life forms, parasitic and destructive entities. Terran ethics don't extend to them. We have to guard constantly against this sort of thing. Lester went in unsuspectingly, and this thing ousted him and took over his body. Frank glanced at his sister. Jill's face was expressionless, a stern little face, wide-eyed but composed. She sat up straight, staring fixedly ahead, her small hands folded quietly in her lap. We can arrange it so you won't have to actually appear in court. Frank went on. You can vid a statement and it'll be presented as evidence. I'm certain your statement will do it. The federal courts will help us all they can, but they have to have some evidence to go on. Jill was silent. What do you say? Frank asked. What happens after the court makes its decision? Then we vibro-ray it. Destroy the Rexorian mind. A Terran patrol ship on Rexor 4 sends out a party to locate the, uh, original contents. Jill gasped. She turned toward her brother in amazement. You mean... Oh, yes. Lester is alive. In suspension somewhere on Rexor. In one of the old city ruins. We'll have to force them to give him up. They won't want to, but they'll do it. They've done it before. Then he'll be back with you, safe and sound. Just like before, and this horrible nightmare you've been living will be a thing of the past. I see. Here we are. The cruiser pulled to halt before the imposing Federal Clearance Building. Frank got quickly out, holding the door for his sister. Jill stepped down slowly. Okay, Frank said. Okay. When they entered the building, clearance agents led them through the check screens down the long corridors. Jill's high heels echoed in the ominous silence. Quite a place, Frank observed. It's unfriendly. Consider it a glorified police station. 
Frank halted. Before them was a guarded door. Here we are. Wait! Jill pulled back, her face twisting in panic. I... We'll wait until you're ready. Frank signalled to the clearance agents to leave. I understand. It's a bad business. Jill stood for a moment, her head down. She took a deep breath, her small fists clenched. Her chin came up, level and steady. All right. You ready? Yes. Frank opened the door. Here we are. Director Douglas and the three clearance agents turned expectantly as Jill and Frank entered. Good, Douglas murmured with relief. I was beginning to get worried. The sitting man got slowly to his feet, picking up his coat. He gripped his ivory-headed cane tightly, his hands tense. He said nothing. He watched silently as the woman entered the room, Frank behind her. This is Mrs. Herrick, Frank said. Jill, this is Clearance Director Douglas. I've heard of you, Jill said faintly. Then you know our work. Yes, I know your work. This is an unfortunate business. It's happened before. I don't know what Frank has told you. He explained the situation. Good, Douglas was relieved. I'm glad of that. It's not easy to explain. You understand then what we want. The previous cases were caught in deep space. We vibrotubed them and got the original contents back. But this time we must work through legal channels. Douglas picked up a vid tape recorder. We will need your statement, Mrs. Herrick. Since no physical change has occurred, we'll have no direct evidence to make our case. We'll have only your testimony of character alteration to present to the court. He held the vid tape recorder out. Jill took it slowly. Your statement will undoubtedly be accepted by the court. The court will give us the release we want, and then we can go ahead. If everything goes correctly, we hope to be able to set up things exactly as they were before. Jill was gazing silently at the man standing in the corner with his coat and ivory-headed cane. Before, she said. What do you mean? Before the change. Jill turned towards Director Douglas. Calmly, she laid the vid-tape recorder down on the table. What change are you talking about? Douglas paled. He licked his lips. All eyes in the room were on Jill. The change in him. He pointed at the man. Jill! Frank barked. What's the matter with you? He came quickly toward her. What the hell are you doing? You know damn well what change we mean. That's odd, Jill said thoughtfully. I haven't noticed any change. Frank and Director Douglas looked at each other. I don't get it, Frank muttered, dazed. Mrs. Herrick, Douglas began. Jill walked over to the man standing quietly in the corner. Can we go now, dear? she asked. She took his arm. Or is there some reason why my husband has to stay here? The man and woman walked silently along the dark street. Come on, Jill said. Let's go home. The man glanced at her. It's a nice afternoon, he said. He took a deep breath, filling his lungs. Spring is coming, I think. Isn't it? Jill nodded. I wasn't sure. It's a nice smell. Plants and soil and growing things. Yes. Are we going to walk? Is it far? Not too far. 
The man gazed at her intently, a serious expression on his face. I am very indebted to you, my dear, he said. Jill nodded. I wish to thank you. I must admit, I did not expect such a... Jill turned abruptly. What is your name? Your real name? The man's grey eyes flickered. He smiled a little, a kind, gentle smile. I'm afraid you would not be able to pronounce it. The sounds cannot be formed. Jill was silent as they walked along, deep in thought. The city lights were coming on all around them, bright yellow spots in the gloom. What are you thinking? the man asked. I was thinking perhaps I will still call you Lester, Jill said, if you don't mind. I don't mind, the man said. He put his arm around her, drawing her close to him. He gazed down tenderly as they walked through the thickening darkness, between the yellow candles of light that marked the way. Anything you wish. Whatever will make you happy. Hi, I'm Jesse. Hi, I'm Paul. Hi, I'm Marissa. Hi, I'm Evan. Hello, I'm Julia Morgan, otherwise known as Morgan Scorpion. And you're the narrator for our story? I think so. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely. Uh, And we read Human Is by Philip K. Dick, first published in Startling Stories, Winter 1955. Um, This is uh, an okay magazine. This is, it's not the top market. Uh, Why did you, when I was putting these stories up on, on the PDF page years ago, Julia, why did you pick this one to record? Do you remember? I'm not sure, really. I think it's because it's an ongoing question um, about, you know, what is human? Yeah. I mean, what does it mean to be human? And um, I was really um, sort of taken up by, um, well, it's a theme that Philip K. Dick uh, uses in um, Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep, which I've only read in part. But in Blade Runner, it's... um, They've got this Kurtzweimer test to test who is uh, human and who is a replicant. And apparently you can tell a replicant because they don't show any empathy. That's right in this story, isn't it? It's funny because I suppose are humans that don't show empathy uh, as well. But um, I think that's brought in the book. And this story really is, um, I mean, Lester is a horrible person, isn't he? Yes, he is. I mean, he's dreadful. He shouldn't be allowed anywhere near children or animals. Probably shouldn't be allowed anywhere near other human beings. Well, he wants to kill uh-huh. other human beings. That's his whole thing, right? Yeah. And um, the alien that takes his place is, um, okay, maybe a little too good to be true. Maybe a little too nice to be completely believable. Um, that's what uh, we're talking about the story, right? Not the um, TV yep. adaptation. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, is that uh, the horrible thought is that she might get Lester back. You yeah. know, if she if she testifies that this is in fact not Lester but an alien uh, impersonating him, then um, they might get Lester back, and she'd have to live with Lester again. And she wouldn't be able to see her nephew anymore, and she wouldn't be able to have a kitten around the house anymore. And it'd be just Lester for the rest of her life. That's uh, not acceptable. So yeah. 
I, I think the illustration on this one is wonderful. Um, I, I it's why I always want to have the originals. Why I think they're so important. I just I look at this illustration. I I think I know how this story was created. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you all know how this story was yeah. created? There he, there he is, Philip K. Dick yep. at his typewriter. Right, <laughs> his wife comes in and says. And Philip Kissick says, Shut up, I'm typing! <laughs> and then the story just writes itself, right? He is Lester Herricks, right? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and, yet, and yet that's... He's being subversive of his own self because he in is. the end, both in the TV and in the, in the print, I mean, Lester is replaced and it's for the better for everybody yep so yes. he, he's, he's kind of poking fun at his own obsessiveness is like yeah probably a better person maybe be better to my wife i yep. did find it interesting that from all of his stories with the nagging wives and the annoying wives like for once he chose to write it where from the woman's perspective where this time it's the guy who's the dick exactly <laughs> like he could have done this the other way it's not, the one first, his... it's not the only time i don't know if it's the first time but it's it's not the only time this story has so many other stories that are connected to it just with little touches here and there um mm-hmm. i think looking at your notes evan uh on your philip k dick review um you've touched a couple of them at least uh yeah i put those four stories always together because they, they kind of make a, a, a series for me. So let, let's go through the which ones you're you're referring uh, to. Was it uh, Beyond the Garden? In the Garden. Okay, so you've got, yeah, In the Garden. Where you have a neglected wife. It's actually out in the garden. essentially has an affair That's, with an animal. It's called Out in the Garden. I think you've got out a, the garden. a title. Okay. Yeah. And this is followed up. I forget the order, but they're all written. They weren't published around the same time, but they're all written within a very short period of time. If you look at the notes mm-hmm. and the collected stories. Then there was the Beyond the Door, mm-hmm. I think. The one where this husband brings in this cuckoo clock and the woman has kind of essentially an affair with this cuckoo clock and the clock kills the, the husband. Yep. And oh, then there's... Goodness. Uh, withered apples of withered of apples, withered apples mm-hmm. in which it's like a tree and so this is then the alien version of that so it's it's kind of the same plot in all four yep. where it's a neglected wife uh, aloof husband who's got his own things going on and then there's an affair with some non-human entity yep. and then usually the husband ends up dead or something and these were the written around the same dead. time yeah, you can check the dates in the collected stories. This That's was published much later, but it was written in the same period as those others. I wonder what he was going through then. What oh, he was thinking I think about it's himself. It's very clear. It's very clear yeah. to me. But, There's okay, one more. So There's one more that we, I don't think we've covered. Uh, maybe we haven't. I've forgotten. Um, but it's so obviously the same uh, as well, although told from a different point of view. Um, and that's the father thing. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Right, so here yep. we've got the Lester thing, right? He's the husband thing, um, except it starts off where he's the thing, <laughs> and then he becomes human, right? Now, before we get too deep into any of these stories and the connections, I want to ask you all what you think of the title, because uh, as Julia pointed out, questioning what human is uh, is what a lot of Philip K. Dick does. But I, I think there's probably some more stuff going on there, too, than just that. 
Well, uh, my grandmother used to have a saying, mm -hmm. handsome is as handsome does. That's where I was and going. Whenever I used to admire a man and say, oh, he's really good looking, or I'd really like to go out with him or whatever, my grandmother would say, handsome is as handsome does. Which is a way of saying, um, you know, don't judge by the looks, um, see how he behaves. That's, uh, but notice, notice it it's always applies to men, right? I think mm -hmm. that that's, a, it's brilliant. It's brilliant insight about women, but it always applies. You never say she's a handsome woman if you want to mm. compliment anybody, right? Um, it's, it well, sounds like an insult. People, I have heard women described as handsome on many occasions. It's a way of describing good looking, which isn't uh, stereotypically pretty. I, I hear you, but it's, yeah. it's not, you know, if somebody walks up to you and say, you're looking very handsome, <laughs> you're like, wait a second, <laughs> right? Um, for men, it's always a compliment. Thank you very much. People don't often say nice things like that to me. No, no <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, well, just like Lester, what does he say when he comes home for the very first time? Uh, he says, um, oh, yeah, he uses some great language. Uh, what does he say? Le oh, here it is. Lester Herrick came back from Rexor for a different man. Mm. I, I love that <laughs> new new section of the story. From Rexor for a different man. Beaming happily, he deposited his anti-grav suitcase in the arms of the waiting Roband. Thank you, he smiled. Thank you. Jill, gra ga Jill gaped speechlessly. Les, what? Lester removed his hat, bowing a little. Good day, my dear. You're looking lovely. <laughs> Your eyes are clear and blue, sparkling like some virgin lake fed by mountain streams. There you go. He sniffed. Do I smell <laughs> a delicious repast warming on the hearth? It's beautiful. So it, 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 it throws you. I mean, I almost think that uh, he didn't have to say a different man. I think I think both Dick actually have gone with Lester Herrick came back from Rexo Four. Period. And in those next couple paragraphs you're going what the heck is this yeah for sure <laughs> well but that's uh, that's what i love about pkd is he's always playing he's playing a game of who's telling the story and the narrator yep. always has a point of view right and mm -hmm. he, that narrator can change sides in the middle of the conversation like, yeah like when it says uh the uh, watch out for my tiger right the the we find out that it's not a tiger I thought I thought it was a robot at first. When I first yeah, because we've it. had robot animals and right. uh, replicant mm -hmm. animals and plenty of PKD stuff. And then uh, the tiger went roll, you know, w scrambled under the couch, right? And then the narrator says the tiger did this, right? Whereas we find out what the truth of the matter is from Lester saying it's just an alley cat, right? Mm -hmm. And notice how does he know it's an alley cat? It's an insult, right? But I want to go back to before we get too deep into that. I want to. I really want to talk about the title. Human is, um, as human does. Human is yes. it, yeah. exactly right. And we actually have a much more common uh, change to that than human is that is as human does. Today, um, handsome is as handsome does is pretty rare. Almost. Uh, did you say it was your aunt or your grandmother? My grandmother. I'm from Devon originally, and she's a Devonshire lady. Yeah, so well, she's dead now. Do you do you ever go around saying that phrase? 
I think I might have used it once or twice. Yeah, it's pretty uncommon. But I've heard um, stupid is as stupid does a lot. Mm-hmm. And that's uh, that uh, is from Forrest Gump, right? Mm-hmm. A movie I'm it's- not a, fa- a fan of. Um, stupid is as stupid does uh, is... It does the same work as hu- as human is as human does. It does mm. the same work as handsome is as, as handsome does. But I just also think about how interesting referencing that original handsome is as handsome does is is in it's the lurking background sexual motivation as in male and female behind what's going on in this story and what's missing from the adaptation as usual mm-hmm. um uh, evan you you uh rightly point out how the connections of this story has to uh beyond the door yeah um that's a story of a husband and wife who live together unsatisfactorily um with no children and then a child comes into the story right mm-hmm. um and then there's a, a friend quote-unquote a friend who uh, is obviously a um, rival for the wife, wife's affections, right? Mm-hmm. Um, here, we've got a, a brother. Now, theoretically, <laughs> that should prevent any rivalry, but it doesn't, does it? I feel the sexual tension in this story, even it's though... It's than just sex. Sorry, say that again? I said human beings are more complicated than just sex. I agree. I agree. But I'm not sure Philip K. Dick <laughs> agrees with you. <laughs> I, I feel that what's so interesting about this story is that underneath all that technology, the robot servants and the gender roles even, there is a uh, sexual, uh, con- not conspiracy, what's that? Jealousy, sexual jealousy going on in here. Sorry, mate, I just don't see it. All right, anybody else see it? No, I, I'm trying to see where you're going with it. Okay. I'm waiting. Uh, <laughs> I, 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 I could see a longing on the part of uh, the protagonist for a child. Absolutely, like that's, that's clear. That, that, but, I, but I don't see sexual jealousy in this story, Jesse, myself. All right, let's... um. Uh, I, I'm not sure it's in the story as in as much as in PKD's mind. So uh, let's go to one of the other stories that Evan pointed out. Out in the garden. Will you uh, recount the the plot for us, Evan? Oh, it's been a while since I looked at that. Um, I, I suppose you just looked at it, right? I I, I know it backwards and forwards because I've read it many many yeah. times. Uh, I'll, I'll explain it. Okay, so there's, there's a kid involved in that one too. There is a kid involved in that one, and there's a garden, yeah. obviously, uh, and, and there's yeah, a garden there's in this one. The other man, in this case, it's a god or something or an animal. Right. So uh, in that story, um, there's a, a ha- happily married husband and wife, sort of. Uh, she seems to be happy, but um, uh, one day she. In visiting an old friend who comes and visits in the garden, um, the old friend says, you know, it's beautiful out here. Um, and he says a comment, and then she gets upset and runs in the house. And then the husband says, oh, um, 
you you accidentally referred to a story of Leda and the Swan in your <laughs> the poem, and uh, therefore she thinks you know that she's pregnant. And I'm like, well, why mm. did she run into the house? Well, turns out that you know that Leda and the Swan story is very important for this yeah. weird fantasy, right? Um, that the that male presence in the garden with his wife, um, this uh, old college friend is uh, a kind of like I think this really happened I think that uh, some old friend of PKD's wife came over he saw them out in the garden he got really jealous um, (laughs) rightly or wrongly um, and it just sprung into a whole bunch of stories like this and there must have been something going on with them wanting to have a kid and I just, I just think it's so fascinating to see him reworking this idea over and over again. So in this case, the guy out in the garden is the brother. But after mm-hmm. uh, in the first meeting, uh, let's see if I can find this spot. Um, he, they, she's complaining about how he's so mean and he's going to leave her. And then, um, let's see if I can find the spot. Uh, yeah, here it is. You have to make allowances, Frank said. After all, he's a scientist. I don't care, Jill said. I'm leaving him. As soon as he gets back from Rexor 4, I've made up my mind. Now, this wife leaving her husband also is the meat and potatoes of the uh, Beyond the Door story. Mm-hmm. Her brother was silent, deep in thought. He stretched his feet out onto the lawn of the little garden. Well, if you leave him... You'll be free to marry again. You're still classed as sexually adequate, aren't you? <laughs> Can you imagine your brother saying that to you? <laughs> I can't. Yeah, I, I took that as something weird about that world. Uh, definitely, um, definitely. It's it, it sort of like hints at something more going on in that culture. That oh yeah, their really world is showing. strange for sure, and we never we see almost Stephen nothing of it. Handing him, the handing the boy over to the government when he's old enough. Yes makes you yeah. wonder but, yeah. yeah yeah i was i was thinking okay when when kids reach a certain age they're all barracked together in some sort of weird future uh communal spartan living or something rather than rather than like being sent to military school or anything individual it's like every kid out of a certain age is going to go through that's this. another story called progeny which is uh, yeah that's a trope he does a lot it is yeah. it's, and I, I think you know it goes back to my theory that he's got an autistic kid in his family and there's this concern about sending him off to live in some, I don't know, insane asylum or something. But uh, just sticking to the story, here we go. Jill nodded firmly. You bet I am. I wouldn't have any trouble. Any trouble finding a husband, a new husband, right? Maybe I can find somebody who likes children. Well, notice that the brother seems to be trying to get rid of his kid, which is really strange. <laughs> you think a lot of children, Frank perceived. <laughs> Gus loves to go visit you, but he doesn't like Lester. Gus loves to go visit you, not come visit you. It's very strange. Les needles him. I know. The past week has been heaven with him, with him gone. That is, Lester gone. Jill patted her soft blonde hair, blushing prettily. I've had fun. Makes me feel alive again. Uh, well, when'll he be back? Okay, I'm just going to skip down to the important part here. Uh, I don't see it. 
But somewhere in this uh, this meeting, I don't see it in here. Um, he pulls out a cigarette and starts smoking. The brother. Yeah, right after yeah. this, let's talk about all the sex stuff. Uh, about whether you're sexually adequate or not. And I, yeah. I know, obviously, it's it's not as strong as in other things. But uh, to me, like... Well, sorry, carry on. Yeah, go for it. You go for it. Well, I, I can see what you're saying. And I, but I think it's almost the opposite that he was doing. Like, I think he's, I think he's showing this isn't about sex, but he's weighting it equally to sex. So, like, um, because... Like that Helen O'Loy story where the guy falls in love with the android woman, who is, mm-hmm. it's kind of like a porn addiction story. Ah. Um, yeah. It, this is the thing, like, this is what I always say that when women don't like their partners, their male partners watching porn, I'm always like, well, then you shouldn't be reading romantic fiction ah. because that's the woman's ideal man is this kind of like, mm. this romantic relationship, long term thing that just doesn't exist. Like this kind of sappy weird utterly committed hero and i think that's kind of what he's waiting it against it's like it is like that porn addiction thing but it's this romance Mm -hmm. addiction thing she wants uh, this ideal she she wants something i mean this guy's an asshole monster right he's a dick yeah 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 but is it is an alien who who is patterned on a romance fiction book what she needs, I don't know. <laughs> I don't. I don't well, think. I don't think that's how the alien is wants. myself. But what, <laughs> well, 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 maybe, maybe it is Jesse because because we are told in the text what what these alien what these aliens do. Oh, they, I see. What uh, you're saying. Okay, yeah. okay, not quite the changes you mentioned. The odd diction. You see, the Rexorians have only a vague knowledge of human beings, a sort of ideal abstraction. Yeah. Taking from Terran objects that have found their way to Rexor. Books, mostly. Right. Romantic. Which are, which are romances. I get it. Yeah, it makes the, sense. The Rexor and I have... I it even says that. Yeah. It's yeah. based on centuries-old Terran literature. Romantic novels from the from our past. Language mm-hmm. custom manners from old Terran books. So basically, yeah, the, the, the Rexorians have read a bunch of... Uh, bunch, bunch of uh, 19th century Jane Austen, and they'll say, this is how we should be. There's another PKD story. I, I I forget the name of it. It's where these um, like astronauts who died in space are replaced with some kind of robot or re- replacement, and they come back and they they think they're they're humans coming back. They think they're the astronauts coming back, and they go to like a coffee shop and they're immediately arrested. And apparently, this has been happening several times, I've but they're so one. obviously out of place. And weird, and when you read back the story the second time, you realize how odd they're behaving, and they're a little bit off. Mm-hmm. And it's like the copy's poor; it's a poor copy, right? And there's another one where uh, aliens are trying to invade, dressed up as like door-to-door salesmen. Huh. But again, they're really off, and the aliens do a really bad job of copying it. So they're really obviously copies. So Dick's done this several times in his stories, where aliens are trying to mimic humans based on some representation one of his best um for for that is imposter which yeah that's that's yeah one Uh, i was thinking of too olam spencer spencer olam is his uh, scientist again 
Um, I don't remember. Is there a wife in that one? I think I think there is. Yeah, there, I think there is. Yeah, and and she, he he passes her test, uh, but he ultimately discovers himself to be, uh, you know, a robot, based an alien robot, with the memories of, of uh, this. Uh, is it time to start talking, making comparisons to the show? Because, well, I'll just put my opinion about. I I do think this is not a story about empathy, and I, I do think in the liner notes mm-hmm. or, or like the notes at the end of the volume this is in, Dick said something like, "This is one of my early explorations yeah, of this issue, empathy." Again. Right, but he doesn't mention empathy here in the story, as far as I can see. It comes yeah. up a lot in the adaptation. Yes, it does. And I think this is much more like Helen and Aloy in the sense it's really just about some kind of automaton who's programmed to based on Earth popular culture. Me too. And it's, he does and, refer to him as being kind, though, in the text. Well, I can act kind. Sociopaths I'm can act kind. Can't he be kind without empathy? Uh, no, I, I, I don't think he's faking. I don't think the Rexorian is faking at all. Well, I think he's he's hundred percent genuine. Empathy is in the story. Well, I don't see how we would be able to differentiate an actor from a real without some kind of internal narrative. Well, that's the, the, somebody pointed out. I was trying to find reviews. I I'm so worried that I'm getting biased against this show because I I just haven't liked any of them, and maybe it's because I'm so snobby about liking Philip K. Dick, and when people don't like him as much as me, I get sort of defensive or something <laughs> so i went looking for reviews and they're the really split a lot of people like the show um this particular episode and a lot of people well a, 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 a smaller number hated it um and some of the some of the criticism was legit i think and others um you know maybe less so but one of the things that's important, I think, that happens in in that is somebody pointed out. So basically, she just uh, chose her own personal preference to allow the invasion of the Earth, right? Um, that because of the way she testifies in the in the uh, TV adaptation, um, mm-hmm. this threat, alien menace, is now infiltrated earth and because the story's cut off we don't know what's going to happen next but we can assume that it's not good Uh, right and and i think that 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 criticism works a lot better on the show than it does here in this story i i find the rexorian version of lester to be um wonderful (laughs) i want him as my husband why don't you get oh go ahead marissa um well i was gonna say I, I don't know. I think it's super creepy. Like when I first read it, I was like, "Oh, that's nice. She's got his love." <laughs> and then I thought about it, and I was like, "Oh my god, this is exactly how women get into bad relationships because she's just met this alien. <laughs> He's saying all the right things, and it's probably going to be horrific for her. It's probably going to be like, if anything, it'll at best it might be like Helen O'Loy where she lives this life without having a real human." They double down. They double down in the in the TV version, right? So they uh-huh. up the stakes in so many ways, and then like, what is the, what is missing from this story? Just like in Beyond the Door, is the is the missing child. They don't have their own child, right? So there's this substitute child 
the nephew who I mean I, I was trying to I was trying to really go over the story and figure out what the hell's going on why is why is Gus little Gussie who that might even be the name of the boy in in out in the garden too I can't remember um, why is little Gussie needing to come over there for and live with them forever? Right, hmm. the brother. If you think about how the brother is, he's much more of a monster than than the Rexorian is. He's talking about uh, his son coming over there, um, over there, not over here. He's distancing himself from his sister. His job as a lawyer, right, where he talks about how he doesn't need to stand out. Um, he's not taking care of his own kid. He, he when when the uh, Rexorian comes out with little Gussie and they're playing this they're just playing this otter slide game right in the house and they make an annuzzlement <laughs> got an annuzzlement <laughs> to make um we're going to live he's going to live with them no yeah, more Yeah I thought fooling. that was a I thought that was the kid mixing up his words at first but then I was like oh maybe he actually is going to live with them Oh he is going to I think he is going to live with them for sure and the thing is is that's not a threat to little Gussie I don't think I mean it would be if Lester, the original Lester, came back. That would be very bad. He'd be a very bad father. But I, I don't fear for uh, Gus there. But notice how the three of them stand together. And then the brother, almost like in a kind of sexual jealousy way, he's the one standing apart. And then he says, no, we got to take your husband in. It's like the, the, the jealousy flipped over somehow. Mm-hmm. And 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 the beginning of the story, he was more defensive of the original Lester. Well, maybe Frank is the one with the real empathy, and maybe he's can see that this alien husband is <laughs> not the best. You think idea. a lot of children Frank perceived? <laughs> <laughs> it's almost like he's a robot, right? Yeah. And then just as soon as that announcement's made. Um, the brother says, come with me, Lester, right? And then they take him in. And he's definitely the alien, right? It, there's no question about that. Um, and uh, that's the same in the show. There's no question whether he is or he isn't the alien. Mm-hmm. Um, even the author says, you know, in the wink, wink, nod, nod, he came back a different man. Um, but notice he says man, right? And yeah. handsome is as handsome does. I think that that absolutely, Julia... I think that is super wise advice, right? It's yeah, he's got a big nose, but look how good he is with kids. Yeah, his ears stick out, or he's got a you know horrible birthmark on his face, but he's a nice provider to the family. And Peter, how cold blooded is that? <laughs> Ask your grandma. <laughs> uh, I mean, this is um. You know, would they say beautiful on the inside, right? Mm-hmm. That there's something the, human is as human does. Um, uh, when I'm looking at my notes at the beginning here, um, he sent reports tape centaur tape on centauran parasitic life. Is this is he mm-hmm. parasitic? Whizzing through the desk scanner, merely an opinion, an expression of emotion, nothing more. Jill stumbled back to the kitchen listlessly. She waved her hand to trip the stove into activity. Another robot, right? And then there's robots everywhere. Robants everywhere. Her husband is a robot at first, and then he becomes malicious. Mm-hmm. 
right? Mm-hmm. He, and he's not. And I my note is logical like a robot, not even a Vulcan, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, here's, but, here, here's a here's a question that the neither that the text doesn't ask, and but I was wondering as I was reading this story, where's where's the kid's mom? Yeah, obviously, where is she? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Is is she dead? Separated? Not in the picture. I mean, the, the whole "I'm going to come live with you" kind of like, well, what does the mom think about that? It's like, which which implies that the mom's not in the picture, and if she's not, then why? Because this is so- another yeah, a- another one of Philip K. Dick's stories that I really want to see an expanded his expanded version of it. Like, <laughs> I really want to know this stuff, and I want to know what happens to Jill after this. Is she going to be traumatized forever as well by the, what she did to Lester? Like uh-huh. he was a dick, but oh. dude, you can you can divorce people. <laughs> well, 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 can you? Yeah, uh, doesn't she? She's yeah, going to leave him. She's oh, she definitely going to divorce. Well, why she? Why she hasn't done done it before? Now is a good question. Yeah. Well, that, 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 that's the. That, I mean, that's Philip K. Dick's life story, right? Five wives. Um, they're divorcing him, not the other way around, right? Mm. Um, the five wives of PKD. It sounds like a sounds like a play. Well, yeah. Maybe Lester was like just having a bad day before he left for the planet, and and Jill assumes. <laughs> <laughs> now he's like, and Jill like was upset with him at that moment. Yeah, he yeah definitely. But but he candy. takes on the criticism of his wife, uh, Dick does, and he writes these stories out of it, right? Um, what the truth of it is, I don't know. I don't. I don't know who's being a monster, but he does take the criticism. You're a monster. Um, you're not acting like yourself. Maybe he's taking. He's been awake too many hours. He's been taking too many uh, amphetamines, and he's just you know. The kid comes by and he's making noise and he can't. He can't write. Mm-hmm. Um, the fact that he's. His studies. What is he? He he makes poisons, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's, He's just the worst. Well, well, that's something I prefer to the TV show to this. I mean, because oh, yeah. in the story, it just seems so weird. Like, what does he do for a living? Oh, we make, he's a scientist who makes toxins for everything. Oh, and God. that's just so casually flippant. And when the guy comes back, he's, uh, as uh, the Rexorian, he's not doing it. It seems, it seems, okay, oh, good. He's not doing that horrible thing. Whereas in the story, his military role is much more central and it actually makes more sense. It's a yeah. better tie into his yeah. change in personality, but he's like, it's like I, oh, I make toxins for a living to kill other, th- other people. Just, it just seems a very weird profession for the character. Just, it's almost also designed to make us hate him all the more. Yeah, I agree with you. And I think by giving them those much higher military roles and more responsibility, just made it so much less believable that. They made the choices that they did. You there's know, a like, lot of there's a lot of problems in adapting it straight up, but I I still think that it was not a good, good adaptation. Before we go deep into that story, which I think we should, the adaptation, I really wanna I wanna nail a couple more things in here and let you guys look at them and see what I I think I'm seeing. Lester laughed thinly. Abruptly, he broke off the re- broke off and returned to his desk. Now clear out of here. I have to finish these reports and don't get forget to tell Gus. Right, so the reports I think are stories. <laughs> <Yeah>. um, <laughs> Gus got excited. Tell me what? 
His cheeks flushed. His eyes sparkled. By the way, those are all things that the wife does as well. Mm-hmm. Flushing cheeks and sparkling eyes. Um, the uh, one story, I don't, I don't, was it on your list, Evan? Uh, where Probably. the girl turns into a tree. Uh, of withered oh, apples. Of withered yeah. apples. Um, that That's the most explicitly, uh, explicit version of the wife as a child uh, mm. story that he uh, motif he does over and over again up, up, uh, out in the, not out in the garden upon the dull earth also wife is a child yeah. um, but uh, listen to this uh, what is it something for me a secret Jill's heart was like lead beautiful metaphor uh, simile right um, mm-hmm. and that word metaphor uh, comes up later um, and it also is twisted in the in the adaptation but listen to this she put her hand heavily on the child's shoulder. Come on, Gus. We'll go out and sit in the garden, and I'll tell you. Bring bring your tiger. A click. The emergency vid sender lit up. Vid sender, I was telling my students, Skype is Skype, right? <laughs> but then, but no, it's not. Not in this case. Instantly, Lester was on his feet. Be quiet, he ran to the sender, breathing rapidly. Nobody speak. Jill and Gus paused at the door. A confidential message was sliding from the slot into the dish. Lester grabbed it up and broke the seal. He studied it intently. So it's it's not a video, is it? What is it? Jill asked. Anything bad? Bad? Lester's face shone with a deep inner glow. Not bad at all. He glanced at his watch. Just time. Let's see. I'll need... Uh, okay, so... This is the point where um, he gets a letter in the mail from uh, Donald A. Walheim <laughs> saying, hey, can you write me up a novel based on that story proposal I gave you earlier this year? <laughs> right? That's exactly what's going on there, right? It's just him spinning, instead of going off to uh, Rexor for some assignment, he's going off to the shack in the backyard to write up a novel. <laughs> Oh, that's my idea. I got something you said uh, made me think um, about the portrayal of these wives. So mm-hmm. in these fifty stories, you have these child wives very often. The uh, describe you know housewives that aren't doing much; they're just around. And the wives of the '60s in the stories tend to be professional mm-hmm. women. They're much more powerful. I'm thinking like uh, Clans of the Alphane Moon or um, Now Wait for Last Year. These women have a more authority over the men than in these 50 stories. And um, he did remarry in 1959 to mm. Anne. And I I don't really know much about Philip Dick's wives, actually, uh, and their interact. But I was I, it seemed to be a big change between Cleo and Anne, mm-hmm. his second and third wife, and, and, and how women get portrayed in, in the stories. Uh, she has no child. Right, she's 1950 wife, with no child, but she also has no, um, no responsibilities in the household. She yeah. she needs to make dinner. Is dinner ready yet? She has all she has to do is wave her hand over the appliance, and it starts. And then a robant comes out and serves that food, right? So, yeah. So what does she do yeah. all day? I mean, I mean, she this is where harasses her husband, it's, Lester. It's, yeah. this, this is where I this is where I prefer the TV adaptation because she has a strong 
life outside the home, both both as both in the army and also well, since her husband is such a such a creep, she finds uh, pleasure and love elsewhere. So she actually has an interior life rather than just being staying at home all day doing just about nothing. I mean, it's worse mm-hmm. than the Jetsons. She complains about her husband to her brother. That's it. <laughs> you know. That's. That's about it. And she wants to play with the kid. She wants to spend time with her nephew. Which, you know, we know what she wants in this story. She wants a kid. That is absent. Yeah, she wants a a family, yeah. That is the most obviously absent thing from the adaptation. But, Julia, you were about to say something. What was it? Sorry, was I? Oh, yeah. Um, It was a while ago. But, yeah. Um, Yeah. after Evan, after Evan was talking about uh, the the wife change, mm-hmm. I don't I don't remember I, I don't remember exactly what it was, but I heard you speak up. I don't remember what it is either. Okay, <laughs> well, um, so I I think that that's really what's what's going on. Somebody wants a child, a child of their own. Um, this other child, a proxy child, is available. Lester has no interest in it. I notice he he permits her to have the kid while he's not around, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, just like Philip K. Dick says, you know, it's fine for you to play with your nephew, uh, but just not near the house because I have to concentrate on my writing, which is how I keep the family, you know, mm. whole. Um, and then maybe she is not super supportive of that. You know, she says those toxic little stories you write. Maybe <laughs> who knows? Who knows what's going on there, right? Um, it, 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 what I love about reading these stories is it's it it feels like the journal entries turned into science fiction, right? His own life and him being very thoughtful about what's going on, and then just this bizarre. You know, take, take you know everybody gets in a bad mood, and you know you wake up on the wrong side of the bed, uh, mm-hmm. but is maximized here, so that yeah, I feel it's because like what you say, like he's such a sensitive guy, you know, mm-hmm. so he probably does act like a complete dick sometimes, and then I think he's probably just like you know overwhelmed with guilt and thinking he should be frozen in an alien planet and <laughs> punished forever for it <laughs> and then the next day he he's he try you know he gets a good night's sleep and yeah <laughs> uh, sends off a story and feels like he's uh, you know right. accomplished and he's a nicer guy uh, forgive me to, uh, to have to ask the obvious what date was this story written well let's see here um i think we have that somewhere uh it reached uh, the agent on February second, nineteen fifty three, is published in fifty five. So very early in his writing career. So was he married to his second wife, Cleo yes. Apostolides, or was he yes. still married Cleo Apostolides? He married Anne in fifty nine. Uh, I said here, uh, just uh, forgive me to quote Wikipedia and do correct me if it's wrong. But in 1955, he and his second wife, Cleo Apostolides, received a visit from the FBI, which they believed to be the result of Cleo's socialist views and left-wing activities. Right. Yeah, that all that. shows up an eye in the sky. So you've got your own yeah. best, the visit. The, F, the, the couple briefly befriended one of the FBI agents. Right, Could who taught him to be, drive. Uh, metaphorically speaking, mm. the brother? Uh, well, I, I think this is that's after this uh, 
because that this is published in 55 mm-hmm. um but it was written uh, prior to 50 well to it was written in 53 or prior okay forgive me forgive me i'm completely out of sequence it's it's totally in keeping with what's going on you know but that actually apparently that fbi agent was very sympathetic to this guy who didn't know how to drive and gave, gave him driving lessons and stuff like that Mm. Um, you know, while, while the uh, the agents, I guess this is uh, something Paul would say, but <laughs> while the agency itself might be evil, except he probably wouldn't say that, um, individuals <laughs> amongst them are doing good work. <laughs> yeah, that's that. That sounds like me, all right. <laughs> I wouldn't go that far. Uh, <laughs> oh. Um, not at all. I, I mean, that might be the case that there are. I just, uh, you know, uh, anyways. Um, it's not really pertinent. My, my, uh, stuff there is not really pertinent. There are some other notes, um, about this in a letter to Terry Carr, who's a dude, um, in 1964, thanking him for his comments on, uh, the Ganymede Takeover, a book we haven't done yet, um, written with Ray Nelson. PKD mentions human is in passing. By the way, as to my story, human is, if you prefer not to include it, by all means don't. The judgment is up to you fellas at Ace, not me. I was merely hoping. (laughs) Assemble from all that I sent you what you consider the best, okay? I'm sure I'll be pleased, even if it's the same story 12 times. Um, That's him saying I'm embarrassed by this story, I think. I don't think he has anything to be embarrassed. It's not the greatest story, but it's it's very interesting. I mean, I mean they adapt. I mean, I mean, I mean, no, you have problems with the TV series, but they did adapt it for a reason, and not only because it's in the public domain. No, they didn't do it because it was in the public domain. Because they're that's what I'm paid. saying. They're getting paid, but I think they're just they didn't hand out the best stories um, because they're trying to save them up for movies or something. Um, I don't know. Maybe a future season. We, I mean, I, I mean, I if don't they think did there will work, be one after the, the sadly this this I w- mess. I, I I wouldn't mind the future series. They gotta fix. They gotta fix future. things up radically. Yeah. Um, there's one more quote here. Uh, of this story, Philip K. Dick had this to say: "To me, this story states my early conclusion as what is human. Maybe." <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure. I have not really changed my views since I wrote this story back in the 50s. Yeah, I don't think you've read it since back in the 50s. It's not <laughs> what you look like or what planet you were born on. It's how kind you are. That's reasonable. The quality of kindness to me distinguishes us from rocks and sticks and metal and will forever, whatever shape we take, wherever we go, whatever we become, for me, human is, is my credo. May it be yours. That's nice. It's but nice. I have a, a question. Are we then just supposed to take this understanding of kindness? Because he always talks about empathy in these later works yeah. in the 60s. Yeah. Are, are we supposed to take that simply as, as like in a kind of pragmatic way, like William James pragmatism? Like if someone acts empathetic, they have empathy. If someone acts kind, they're kind. Is it just merely what's on the surface? You can tell over time. That's the thing, right? You can tell over could, time whether someone... You can't tell instantly. You know, somebody comes up to you smiling. Hey, how you doing? They might be trying to sell you something. Mm. Right? Mm-hmm. But True. We don't got a lot of time with New Lester. No. Yeah, not that's enough. the problem. And the way it's cut off, um, 
it, it, it we'll never know, right? I well, mean, the last line, anything you wish, whatever will make you happy. I mean, that's people say that all the time too. Yeah, or, or I, you know, on yeah. first dates. Con men say that. <laughs> yes, it's true, and I understand why Marissa's a little more hesitant about about the new Lester. Thing. Yeah, I'm worried. I'm worried about Jill. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm worried about Jill. I'm like, I think I want to just like grab her and be and just like be like just run you don't need another man right now especially not an alien man <laughs> just <laughs> just like leave and go work on yourself and get some hobbies and, you know, like. well their world might be so screwed up that, that this is her only refuge it's it's a it little didn't bit sound like it though it sounded it, like she, some weird, she was excited about it yeah like there's some was, weird things going on but the way lester describes the earth um is you know is lush and and uh, green, right? Smells good. It's yeah. great. It's a wonderful place. And the food, how much he enjoys his food. What was that? Compared to where he comes from, it's lush. It yeah. is. And what we it might be very different. It's true, but uh, I get the sense, you know, they're out in the garden. It's not like they're, it's a, it's a post apocalyptic wasteland that we see in other PKD stories, right? I mean, we don't. We we do see a little bit of grass. Lester, uh, sorry, the brother Frank. He's very honest, mm-hmm. Frank. Um, and they still have all the food. They yeah, have like they, mushroom uh, sauce and steak and. Yeah, uh, it's all stored <laughs> under the house for some reason, but. Underground <laughs> <laughs> storage, which is not unknown in these PKD stories, we've seen that before. There, there's a really funny line um, in the second interview. I call it interviews with the brother. Um, Frank, um, she she says, um, oh, he's really different, and blah 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 mm-hmm. blah, and then he and he's really into food now, and the the brother says, oh, and he says, I did notice he was getting fatter. Um, <laughs> another gained ten on, pounds. Yeah. <laughs> another dig on PKD, but talks about you know the coffee and the rolls and the ice cream and all this great stuff that he's gonna have, and then she, there's a really funny line about how um how the brother uh oh how i want to say douglas it's not douglas how lester and the stove (laughs) get up to all sorts of things they get together (laughs) and cook weird things it's just like okay so the stove sent you enough cheating on he's cheating on his wife with the stove now. <laughs> That's an image I just did not need. Well, to it's see. just another robot, right? But and and he's enjoying this. But there's also a line in that second interview. Um, I was telling my students this is like, you know, it's sex. That was a sex line. Let's see if I can. Um, she says some. I can't find a spot, but it's, she says something to the effect of, um, and now he's romantic. Right, and he never used to be that way. He said it was very, and then something, right? Um, just like he's just not sympathetic. He's not romantic. It's and when Lester comes back, he says your eyes are like virgin pools, right? It's like that they, they were had a sexless marriage. They mm-hmm. have no children, and now this guy's very sensual and he's romantic. And they explicitly show that in the adaptation, right? There's a sex yeah. scene, which I was mostly uh, reading reviews of the thing during, because there's so many of those scenes. Mm. Um, now is the time where we must 
see if anybody thought the adaptation was okay. I liked it. I thought it was okay. I I, I think it was rather preposterous. I, I the I was bothered mostly by the ending because in in the story I don't want to go back to the story too much, but in the story there's at least like a like due process is talked about. Yeah. Like, it's not and nice. at the end it's like it's a military court in a like a security situation where they have evidence that this guy's been taken over and then she like tricks them with a with a sixth grade logic puzzle <laughs> and says, Oh, I gotta let my husband go because, you know, I took a semester of logic or something, you know, not even <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah. It's the thing that she sort of falls for in the short story, but somehow that um, courtroom fell for it. <laughs> It, never, it doesn't make any sense. Well, they set they set up a, a straw man to knock down, and they knocked it down real well. Yeah. Uh, Julia, what did you think? You you haven't seen any of the other adaptations yet, right? I haven't seen any of the other adaptations. No, I just saw that one. Um, well, I thought it was a good excuse for a soft core porn That's movie. Exactly what it was. <laughs> I yeah. liked. That's, I liked the costumes. I was a little bit dismayed that even, you know, hundreds of years into the future, women still have to wear those fucking, excuse my language, stupid high-heeled shoes. <laughs> they don't have to. They don't have to. But it's an option for the uniform. <laughs> yeah. Okay, come on. This this is not a good adaptation. Um, it, it It's... It's not a good show. One of the one of the criticisms I saw that I thought somebody, oh, that's a good point. Why why does that happen? And then someone else justified it, and I'm like, yeah, I guess. So it was say, why is she on the treadmill all the time? And I was thinking, well, because it's an hour long, and they have to fill that time, and they don't really have that much material, mm-hmm. right? And then uh, the other person said, uh, that's to show that she's not moving anywhere in her relationship. I'm like, I guess, I guess. Um, so why why does she go into the underworld um, uh, looking for sexual liaisons with uh, people dressed in weird costumes? Um, and why why is there some lesbianism in there? And I, so I was she's like, not being satisfied by her husband because she's not being satisfied by her husband. Um, I got that. I got that. But. Um, that was that was that, that's the explanation. It's it's not an excuse, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you can you can explain all sorts of stuff. Here's my big problem. Ultimately, what they decided to do is say, let's invert everything, and not invert the most important thing. So, here's a really interesting question: Why is Earth the dried out husk that Rexor is supposed to be? And the answer is. So we can send them to do a ward against them, right? Okay. Mm-hmm. And then why is the director the wife now? Because women have to have power in the modern world or the future world. Yeah. Everybody was saying it was set in 2520 in every review. I don't remember seeing that on the screen. Did anybody see that on yes, the screen? Yes, at the very beginning. Okay. Okay. Uh, I don't think it matters when it's set. It's supposed to be the future, but it actually is talking about our present cultural values which I am not super uh, big fan of um, if those are the cultural values being presented because what I see is it's, it turns the whole story 
not into a little cute scene about how weird it is that this guy um, notices his personality shifts, right? Mm. But rather, it turns it into women uh, should be empowered and have loving husbands or something like that. And I know that that is... It's nice to have good relationships, but the whole the whole premise of them going and blow, everybody's in the military, which I get the sense of some something weird going on with the brother, right, in the story. But what's missing is the kid, and every gender relationship in the rest of the story is flipped on its head. So, who is the confidant in the adaptation? It's not a brother; it's some fellow female officer who betrays her, yeah. right? Just in the same way that the brother betrays her, in a certain sense, if you want to consider it a betrayal. Um, who, uh, the wife is now uh, the director, not the um, some judge or whoever it is. The, the what is it? The uh, knock, knock down doors and arrest people without search warrants sort of militaristic whatever's going on in our modern society where uh, mm. law and order is only for the rich people and I, I don't know what's I don't know what to make of all of that other than to say I don't like any of these changes if you really want to screw this story up um, and you don't change the central thing what I would have done is made the main character uh, the wife in this case a male and made the husband female and then seen what that ha- would have done because at least that would have change things up in a way that would make it somehow more modern without being whatever this is because honestly everyone all the comments that are positive towards this um thing and you're right to point them out julia i think it was you who pointed it out um are the set design right set design is lovely but that's no reason to watch a lot of people were saying i'd like to have that apartment and i'm like well, yeah, but did you look out the window? <laughs> right? It's a lovely set design, and she has a beautiful. Notice her closet is oh gorgeous, right? <laughs> like, and then she has a nice uh, home gym, and um, everybody downstairs in the in the what are, the the tunnels, what are they called? The maze in the maze, right? Um, has fancy clothing, although they seem to be stabbing each other when they're not fancy clothing. I just, I, I, I was shaking my head through the whole thing. I was like, am I, am I insane or is this terrible? Yeah, there was also, I saw reviewers confused about like, just how big the stakes were in that um, TV adaptation and, and, you know, what's going to happen now to Terra and they, all they added all that stuff, all the big stakes and stuff, which made it worse because it was a very personal story right. and they could have. That, that was like the heart of it. Like, I don't know why they didn't play with that and even play with that thing of like the ideal mate and, and what is, what's the consequences if you take something like that instead of your actual human husband or. And yeah, I think that that's what it is about, right? It's, it's about what do you want out of a spouse? Yeah. So all that stuff they added just confused it and then kind of made you miss the heart of the story. And I just, it would have been so good if they hadn't added the, everything they added. <laughs> Basically, everything they added extra to the story made it worse. What were you going to say, Julia? Yes, well, well, all of a sudden, these people are making a TV show, which, of course, has to adhere to different standards from from a book. I mean, 
they've got to they're making a science fiction show they're selling science fiction to the audience so they've got to have some science fictiony elements in there I, 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 mean, I don't just, remember any softcore scenes in the Twilight Zone. That's the thing, right? Traditional Twilight Zone was able to do a lot of stuff without yeah. as many lesbians. I mean, how many lesbian episodes have there been? I, I'm nothing against lesbianism. Different things. The modern audience expects a lot of this glitz and, um, you know, the, the, the filler. I think and that's the, what they think. Yeah. I think that's what they think, uh, but Charlie Brooker's expects some more gender balanced um, cast, so they've got to put some more women in there somehow. But it's out of place, right? So Orange is the New Black can do that stuff, but it makes sense in that show. I haven't, I haven't really watched that. Here's one, but... To, but that's a female <laughs> prison. This, this is just added in awkwardly. Five minutes. They got to fill I that think, period. Yeah, yeah that, that maybe it shouldn't have been a 45-minute show. But even Outer Limits mostly could tell these stories in fairly compelling ways without throwing in too much. Yeah, I think Jesse ha- has a good point, too, that like Black Mirror does it without that. And it's way more popular. Like The mm-hmm. majority of people seem disappointed with this show. And I think that's why is that they, they go for these like cheap shots of like, oh, let's throw some sex and some war in. And now people will like the story better. And it's like, well, you could just tell a really compelling story with science fiction elements without adding this extra stuff that unless it works with the story, you know, but I mean, uh, I a lot of people talked about, uh, what's the, what's the main actor's eyes, um, in breaking bad guy, um, Cranston. Yeah. Brian Cranston. Right. Um, he had such soulful eyes and I'm like, he does have soulful eyes and, you know, I think the acting was uniformly good. Um, it was, yeah. It was great. Problem is not the acting. Problem is not the set design. Problem is they started with the shittiest script <laughs> imaginable. And I think what they like. Here's here's what I wanted to point out. The the husband who comes back, the um, Rexorian, who says in the adaptation, "You couldn't pronounce my name," which is it's not terrible, right? Um, he said he's he's. He basically admits that he's he's a Rexorian, um, and he loves these metaphors that he's apparently studied. And notice how in the adaptation he retains all the memories of his previous uh, occupant, right? Mm. Um, and yet his emotions are changed. In this one, he retains none of the memories. He when he first comes into the house, he doesn't even know her name. And he doesn't know how many people live there, right? And he doesn't realize that the stove is capable of making all these wonderful things, right? He is uh, he's essential. It's one of it's isn't there a romantic comedy where some time traveler comes back from the 17th century, and uh, you know makes a new life in New York City with a I think that's a movie I've seen. Um, yes, yeah, I, I with uh, um, maybe Hugh, with a, what's the guy who plays Wolverine? Uh, Hugh, uh, oh, who's Hugh Jackman? Hugh Jackman. That's a movie, yeah. Hugh, I, yeah, Hugh Jackman is a time traveler from you know, two hundred years ago, and he comes to New York, and he's he's a wonderful romantic. It's a romance fantasy, right? Um, with a supposed science fiction element, or that what's that show? Um, is based on a series of Outlander novels, right? Outlander. Kate, I guess Kate and Leopold is the movie you're thinking of. What's Kate and who? Kate and Leopold. Kate and, Le- Kate and Leopold. Right. Okay. So, um, those are th- th- that's essentially what we've got in in this original story, um, but in the 
adaptation, he has all those memories. Um, and yet, I don't, I think it's, I, I just find the short story to be really, really cute and charming and interesting. And I find mm-hmm. myself annoyed by the adaptation because they're, why did they change the guy's first name? Don't know. They kept the last name, but it, again, it's changes for changes' sake. It, it's, it's Lester, an old-fashioned name. Mm-hmm. I guess, but it, old old becomes new again, right? So it, right. their seem their whole thing seems to be let's follow the slipstream, right? We'll, we'll be in the shadow of Charlie Brooker. We'll be in the shadow of things that are um, cool, and and it's not like they don't bring uh, a actors to to it, but they're certainly not bringing a scriptwriters. Ronald D. Moore's entry was not as good as it should have been, and I don't know why that is. Your question before about why not switch the gender of the the person who gets taken over by the alien, I, I think it has a lot to do with Brian Cranston. When they did this, they got him for one episode, right? right. And he was a big part well, of the he's promotion. He's a producer, though, I think, as well, wasn't he? So yeah. they, they think they're getting the most, I guess, bang for their buck with this episode because they get basically two characters out of one but he, but they could have made him the wife right I, I think having the alien be, become you know the wife would have been it would have just changed it would have just changed things up and I felt like this was like a it's, it's kind of like it's our um, turn now girl power or something uh, like that and it didn't work at all I, like I, that. I, I, I don't know about that Jesse so let's, so let's take a hypothetical let's have Brian Cranston as as the wife and the woman as the husband. The woman the woman is cold and different to him. She goes off to the planet and then she comes back romantic, loving, yeah, sexually that's aggressive. That, that's very problematic. <laughs> Can't keep her I, but I see, I, Paul, I would have switched it. Just you know how uh, their whole thing is this swapping everything. So they swap planets. Rexor is now Earth, right? The husband is now the wife. Okay, is what I would have said. And then the emotions, I would have switched those too. So when I, she goes off to her toxin research on Rexor 4, right? When she comes back, she's cold, right? If you're, if you're okay. going to mess with the structure so much okay. that you change everything but one thing, change everything and see what well, that uh, effect okay, would have. Okay, so, so you go from warm to cold. Then where's the impetus for him to remain with her? Because she she's been transformed to some something that he can't emotionally connect with anymore. Right. So and I so, think that so, that's... So, 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 so then the story falls apart there. <laughs> I, I think th- that yeah. I would not like that episode as well. Like I think the story that Philip K. Dick wrote was so good because um you know, women are always idealized and if she went away cold and came back warm or went, you know, vice versa, like women always get those kind of um yeah like ideal visions of themselves but it was cool that for once i'm reading a story about like what's this like ideal man supposed to be like and what if he's mm-hmm. got these emotional problems and what would you accept when you get this replacement man who's supposedly perfect like there's so many perfect woman stories what about a perfect man story? I, I would but i would just have switched that ending again so that instead of accepting him she rejects him, and then the whole story becomes pointless, right? If you re- just flip everything, so that you know the mm-hmm. Rexor becomes Earth, 
the man becomes a woman, or the husband becomes a wife, the wife becomes a husband, the alien becomes mean, right? That just shows how you can't go around screwing with the stories just for, for kicks. Yeah. Um, that whole sequence in the underground, I guess it was designed to evoke something, right? But notice that the, the, the missing element from the story is the child. They just left that out. And notice how none of the stories that we've really seen in this adaptations, except for the one with the kid who's, uh, you know, a teen, um, have dealt with children at all, right? And that's that it's very high in his mind in these stories, right? It's very important in his thoughts. Is is I mean that's why that story um, that that is not on your list, Evan, but because uh, it's later, it comes later in yeah. his chronology. Um, the father thing is so interesting, and it's, it's it's like a Stephen King story uh, written by Philip K. Dick. You wouldn't even believe it was written by Philip K. Dick if you didn't see his name attached to it, because it it's like it. It's about a kid yeah. finding out that his father is not human; is he's a monster. Um, and and that switch uh, with the wife not seeing what the kid sees, wow, that is isolation and power and. And so many, like, I'm, I don't know anybody in science fiction who wrote as much about children other than Heinlein, right, as, as sort yeah, of an he, issue. Yeah, he did. I, it's, I just uh, recorded some thoughts on the pre-persons, and it's something he comes back to a lot. And sometimes the kids are, like, very weird from the adult point of view. Mm-hmm. And, and But other times he's really pushing on this fact that it's like the the system or the you know the older people are really repressing the opportunity of young people and he flips back and forth between children being a bit of a threat and dangerous and you know kind of doing their own thing impenetrable to adults and then there's others where it's just straight up oppression of young people like that's why i like crack in space so much it's such a it's it's really the the, the novel for the millennials in a way where you got <laughs> all these elite you know who don't die and don't retire right and keep all the good jobs for themselves and force the young people into cryogenic, you know, freezing until they find and the new brown plant. people, too. Don't forget the brown. Yeah, people. they're all the yes. minorities, too. Um, Martian Time Slip. I was just listening to your shows on Martian yeah. Time Slip. And you, you, uh, I think you were classifying it as one of his best. I agree. It is one of his best yeah. novels. Um, and I note that the one that I think is his best novel, Galactic Pod Healer, doesn't have any major children in it. However, that's my favorite too, though. I, it is. I, it's just the greatest book. But uh, as we covered in in the uh, the the children's book version of Galactic Pod, exactly. Um, it, children are there. They're just not um, visible, right? Now, I think you know the the whole thing about Martian time slip is they're at the center of it. There's this autistic boy, and his story and his schooling and and. All around it are these adults who act like just, you know, bullies and jerks and, uh, you know, all sorts of, you know, problematic humans. <laughs> um, but ultimately, at its core, it's about what's best for the kid and how, how, to, how to raise and also educate children. And how many science fiction stories? There's one, um, I'm trying to remember the name of it. I don't even remember. Uh uh, it's about a about Jovians, I think. The Jovians are sending uh, board games to Earth, and the job of the of the main character is to check these board games are not 
somehow uh, invasion literature or something. Yeah, war game, maybe that's what it's called. And he plays this game with his kids, right? A board game. And uh, we've se- we've seen the- these board games in other in novels and right. He's obsessed with children in a way that very few science fiction like think about Asimov. He may have had kids. I don't know. Maybe he didn't. Um, he had a daughter. <laughs> but you would never know. You would never know. Oh yeah, Janet. No, Janet Asimov, his wife or his daughter. Doesn't matter. You would never know from his writing that he had children, right? Philip K. Dick's stories are full of children. It, and um, when he's not having them, some of the characters are represented as children, like the wife. And I think that that's so important. It's what's missing from the adaptation is they just they don't get. It's like they don't get what he's about. Yeah. I... So I I I I can't imagine that they're going to renew it unless you know the things are so desperate for. For material, but well, if the ratings were okay, why wouldn't they? They, uh, they don't really care about the. I don't know what the ratings are, but yeah, it might be more pecuniary decision. I'd love, day, I'd love right? for it to do well quality. and 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 make some good adaptations. But um, people like uh, I'm reading the comments. People of the adaptation, people, most of the people haven't read the story, and mm. so you know, so they don't know what. This is not a good introduction to Philo K. Dick at all. Right. I, I, if you watched these shows and never read any Philip K. Dick stories, you would think that he was particularly obsessed with softcore sex scenes. And yeah. he doesn't really, I mean, he, he puts them in there, but they're so funny the way they're done. That you never see anything, right? You just, oh, oh I just realized what's happening, right? So. Uh, they it, added this stuff to the Hoodmaker, too, that, like. Psychic sex or something, psychic prostitutes yeah, were added yeah. unnecessarily to the hoodmaker too. And it, it, it speaks to some something that's going on in somebody's mind, but it's not PKDs. And 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 this is a man who obviously was very interested in women, <laughs> you know. So it's, I don't know. I don't. Well, not that this was a good choice, I think, in this particular episode, but I. I wonder they're they're trying to sometimes borrow things from other stories. They Maybe, did that in yeah. the Hoodmaker. They did in a few others. And here they're borrowing from some kinds of life a little bit. Okay. Where you have a destroyed earth, an earth that's devastated, and they're always going looking for commodity or certain products or commodities or resources. I mean that's the word I'm looking for. Resources on their planets that they need to run their economy and they send they eventually send all people to war. So it's about empire and resource wars. And that's here, and that, that's something Dick wrote about, but an entirely different story, which would have made, I guess, an interesting episode. I, they I, I, would adapt I don't know. It, if, but they stick it in here. Yeah. I don't know if I, I mentioned, I, I think I was trying to mention this and I didn't get to it because I stumble over <laughs> my words all the time. But um, I, I just want to point out that in this story, in the story as written, um, the Lester uses meta, metaphor, right? And a lot of similes, but it, she, she calls it metaphor. In the TV adaptation, they picked the, whoever's writing the script picked out that word metaphor and said, "Let's change it, metamorph or whatever." It, oh yeah. And and now the aliens are metamorphs, not just Rexorians uh, who somehow inject their brains into whatever. And it's like, yeah, that's about it. What they did is to pick the word out and they said. And so the whole thing that's missing is that this story is a metaphor, right? For some sort of man-woman relationship, uh, husband-wife relationship, ideal, um, you know, 
what this woman has nothing to do all day and he won't even give her a child to spend her time with right and mm. and that that is the metaphor that the story is. And then the show, what is it about? Well, they won't even talk about children. It's it's all about you be you. Like maybe she's supposed to be a, a bisexual in the TV show. Maybe she's supposed to be a lesbian or just wanting any kind of human love or something like that. But I don't understand mm. why that what that has to do with anything. Is that a metaphor for something? I don't know. I can't tell what the metaphor is. I know there's a metamorph or whatever it's called. I want to see the shooting script, see how they spell yeah. it. Because I didn't <laughs> understand what word it was exactly they were saying. Maybe they didn't know what word it was either. Mm. Sorry. Uh, bring it all down talking about the <laughs> adaptation. Yeah, I, I, if, we, uh, if we do the... Um, if there is a second season, I don't know if we should watch them. <laughs> we're gonna or, or talk about them. I don't. I don't know. I suppose you're dreading the father thing. I think I really like that story. I think it's a great story. I, I I can't imagine it can be ruined by uh by the adaptation. Although I noticed nobody praises it highly, do they? Oh. I think they changed the name too. Did they change the name of it? This is one of the ones where they kept I the name. I think it's the same. Oh okay. Um. Yeah, is that next? No idea. Okay. I I don't know how like the UK Canadian order differs from ours. Oh yeah, Father Thing is next. Oh. Father Thing is is next. Then Autofact. Safe and Sound, which is Foster, You're Dead, and then Hanging Stranger. Now the Hanging Stranger is one of the best PKD horror stories there is. Um, I don't expect it to be very good because. I expect there's going to be a some soft core stuff. <laughs> uh, what did oh, I, I just read the synopsis. Yeah, yeah, it's nothing very similar. It seems. Yeah, in the, in the near future, video advertising is everywhere. North America is a single nation with a single presidential candidate. Philip Noyce is less than enthusiastic about consumerism and is a low motivation QA worker on a production line. During the candidate's speech one night, Philbert hears her utter the words, kill all others, while the words flash on the screen. Oh, no, the, kill all others has to be the adaptation of of uh, The Hanging Stranger, right? Yeah, it is. Okay, okay, I'm starting to see it. Yeah, so none of all of that stuff is not in the story. That's whack. Hmm. Well. Well. Um, are we done? Uh, we're done. Well, how would you rate this uh, adaptation in on the scale of uh, uh, the other episodes? Top half, bottom half? It's a top half for me, but really, I don't really like any of them. Yeah, yeah, I'm still going to put it in the top half as well. Um, because I thought it was... I, I still enjoyed watching it. It's, a, it's just a cool story. I just was irritated by everything they added to it, which I, I think brought it down. <laughs> but this, yeah. they kept a lot of Philip K. Dick's story. Like, you know, there were so many pieces from his story that I quite enjoyed. Had I not so, known, I would not have recognized it. So we've seen The Hoodmaker, Impossible Planet, The Commuter, Crazy Diamond, Real Life, and Human is the Spark, correct? Uh, yep, that sounds right. Okay. Yeah. I guess so, I'll put it around the middle. 
I, my top half only includes maybe one or two. Well, 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 <laughs> Your top well, half. half. <laughs> Bottom half yeah. is yeah, very full. Three. Oh yeah, I don't know. I I also don't like you know I don't do the rating out of five or anything like that because I, yeah. I I don't know when to make them. Julia, it's in your top half certainly, right? Well, I haven't seen any of the other episodes. Like I said, so, so it's it's in our top and our bottom half at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> I would say as an adaptation, it it would get a two out of five maybe. Yeah. If I hadn't read the story to begin with. I would probably have given the episode a three. Yeah. Yeah. Out of five. Yeah. Well, it, it's in comparison, right? Uh, I mean, I always yeah. thought that this this story was light and fluffy. Uh, it's short, right? That's that's one of it's what twenty minutes long, something like that to read. Um, but the material here, I think, it could have easily sustained a forty-five minute episode had it been yeah. like. Well, why not just why not just do this thing where instead of trying to modernize it, they just shoot it as it is, set it in the 1950s future. What would we, what what weirdness would come out of that? Well, you would see what 1950s weirdness was all about, right? Yeah. Um, have these crazy uh, technologies where, you know, they have. Uh, computers, but not in the house, right? Mm. <laughs> and robot robots that run on uh, magnetic tape, right? Or punch cards, or what? However, and just like I'd watch that. I'd think it would be fascinating. That whole um, if you watch the aesthetic of the Fallout games, right? That's exactly what they do. Is they it's set yeah. in the 1950s future. Mm-hmm. All the TVs are uh, cathode ray, and they have, uh, you know, curved edges and a curved screen, and and the robot, mm-hmm. uh, the robants are um, Robbie the robant. <laughs> Robbie the robant, very nice. <laughs> well, robants are from other stories too, right? I, I'm pretty sure that's yeah. We covered that. Yeah, I'm, I'm, we haven't done a rotorizer in quite a while, but yeah, robants not not an uncommon word in these stories mm-hmm. and novels. I, I like it. I think it's cool. I do like that you you can get up to all sorts of no good with the oven as well. <laughs> Another appliance that, <laughs> in this case, it's not harassing him. I might start using that. Like I'm gonna go get together with the oven and whip something up. We'll see what we can get. We can do together. <laughs> You're cooking now. <laughs> That's right. Oh. <laughs> You, it gives a whole new meaning to got a bun in the oven. <laughs> oh, oh no, Jesse, I did not need that. I, I just went there. Right there. <laughs> <Got him. laughs> it's so stupid. That's what I love about him. He's he's ridiculous. Yeah. I, I even get the coffee for the redderizer. Oh yeah, it's in there. Oh yeah. Oh, I missed the coffee. I did also very much enjoy speaking of ridiculous that he, that Lester was so indifferent to pleasure that he would prefer his food to be injected intravenously yeah. than be bothered eating it. It's universally like, applicable. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what a jerk. <laughs> um, he is not meant to be sympathetic in any way, in either the adaptation or the story. So we're meant to be. 
I mean, even if there's a problematic thing, like how is this relationship going to last? It, it were meant to be relieved that uh, she's going to pick pick the uh, Rixorian version over him. Uh, I don't want. I I am tempted. I'm tempted to relitigate the whole TV adaptation, but I will let it lie and just let the. I'll listen let, to it. I'll listen let, to your relitigation. No, no, that's right. I, I, I will, I will let it lie and let the uh, the majority dislike of the TV adaptation and its themes stand. But I, I, I will just, I'll just raise a hand in disagreement and leave it at that. But I'll add one more, one more criticism here. I, I think the he wasn't nearly bad enough in the adaptation. Actually, he he struck me as just a soldier. He just he was threatening his, mm-hmm. you know, grabbing his wife. I guess that he was. But yeah. notice that that was not in the original. Mm-hmm. They could have worked harder at making him more odious, I guess. Because I guess I, maybe I wasn't watching. I was watching a baseball game at the same time I was <laughs> watching the first half of it. But I got the sense that he was just like the stereotypical soldier. And those usually in culture are, are kind of aloof from their wives. Yeah. There was, there was even that TV show about that back when I was growing up. Major Dad. Right. There was a soldier. Oh, I remember father. that. It was kind yeah. of, you know, it was all the jokes was all about how. He really couldn't get along, or he really couldn't be. He had like a couple of daughters. Yeah. Yeah. Of course, Lester laughed, uh, coughed rapidly. Well, shall we try sirloin steak, medium, smothered in onions with mushroom sauce, and white rolls with hot coffee? Perhaps ice cream and apple pie for dessert. You never seem to care much about food, Jill said thoughtfully. (laughs) Oh. You always said you'd hope eventually they'd make intravenous intake universally applicable. She studied her husband intently. Lester, what's happened? Um, there is another story where uh, everybody has universal um, uh, universal um, intravenous, uh, except it's not through the... <laughs> oh, 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 you're thinking of... Uh, oh, no. Yes, counterclock world. Counterclock world, yeah. yeah, where everyone's... yeah. Everybody yeah, going drinks reverse. their food backwards. Oh yeah, <sighs> yeah. No, it's it's the um, it's the disgorging that you don't want to see. That's the horrible thing. Um, I also like that he has trouble with his pipe because <laughs> he's never smoked before, right? <laughs> he comes in, he says, "Oh yes, um, it's just the two of us living here, right?" Yes. Yeah, Do you need any two. help in the kitchen? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's very clumsy. But this would be a great comedy piece. Why didn't they just I do it as a straight that. up? Take all the humor out of these. Great comedy. It is. It's funny. It's funny on That's the page. Was, and it's closer to what he wrote. Like I think I was imagining this. If if she, if they weren't in positions of responsibility, if it was just like a suburban kind of situation, regular girl going to the gym, hanging out with her friends, her husband's kind of a dick. And then she gets this perfect alien husband. <laughs> like, it's like perfect comedy. It is a comedy. It's a sitcom almost, right? Yeah. I mean, actually, My Husband the Martian, isn't that a, wasn't that a show? I think it I was. Know. No, no. My, like you're thinking My Favorite Martian, which was basically the Martian was the guy living next door. Okay. My Favorite Martian. My Favorite Martian. It's before my time. So do you think they consciously decided at one point to suckle the humor out of these, or these people just not? <laughs> well, they're, they're so far from what Philip K. Dick was trying to. What do, was the one with the pig lady? Likes? The pig lady that was supposed to be funny. I, I thought it was 
exhibit piece? No, that was Crazy Diamond. Strange Diamond. Crazy Diamond. Crazy Diamond. Yeah. Uh, That's true. I guess someone was sitting there and just being like, "That's not a tiger. It's an alley cat." There's like you can't have sexy time. Uh, nudity, random nudity thrown on screen and comedy very well maybe i don't know i, I guess that's yeah. what they think yeah. oh yeah crazy diamond yeah. was supposed to be based on sales pitch which is a uh, easily a comedy yeah i i i think they were thinking much more black mirror than than mm-hmm. slapstick when adapting these stories which is why they're mostly dark and sometimes and sometimes they they amp it up to 11 as far as oh let's put on a crap sack Earth world. It really just reminds me of the uh, the you know the Outer Limits reboot, which was just uniformly terrible. Uh, I mean, I wanted to like it, but there was almost there's like two good episodes out of like I don't know eight years or whatever. Uh, there was Sand Kings being one of them. Sand Kings was okay. It's good. We did a show on it not too long ago, and I, I know that. I was on the show. Right. So it was okay. It was good, um, but it was not as good as the short story. And no. the, the ones I'm thinking of are in Constant Moon, and I think that's from Outer Limits by Larry Niven, which is a little romance uh, set at the end of the world, right? And uh, I think there was one that was based on the Harlan Ellison um, uh, story called The Human Operators. Um, that was It was based on a Harlan Ellison and A.E. Van, Vo- Van Vaught story called The Human Operators, which was pretty great about a uh, abused human who is uh, the dog's body on a on a on a spaceship, um, and uh, the AI is really mean, right? Hey, Harlan Ellison is really good at doing mean robots, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. I would have loved to have seen some robots too. I just mm-hmm. didn't buy any of the world in this story, like that visual, like the the whole human civilization. The the main guy they're sending is a is a colonel, okay. And there seems to be six guys on his spaceship, maybe. And then they're getting back in real time. Like, just, they don't care about science fiction, is what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Maybe Philip K. Dick uh, doesn't care about th- that kind of detail either. But notice he also doesn't write that kind of story. Where, you know, yeah. military, uh, military stuff is not really his thing. No. I didn't even think about that. A colonel. It's like a lieutenant might be over six or a dozen people. Come Colonel on. should be in his office, right? Yeah, it, no, it, no, it was no, just no, silly. No, no, no. Cur- cur- colonels are the highest level of field, oh. of field officer yeah, in but the no, army, was... which is why you, see, why, why you see a lot of them in fiction, because anything higher and you're behind a desk. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but but they also, you know, they only had... It, their whole... I mean, what, what's even the, what was the name of the material that they're going to use to fix the atmosphere? Well, when I first heard, it, I thought it was hydrogen, and that didn't make any yeah, sense. Yeah, it, it makes no sense. It's hydron, hydron, I think. Right. Yeah. Hydro- hydron or something like that. It's it's a made up mineral yeah. that they're using to fix. They're going to use to fix the atmosphere. I I promise I wasn't going to talk more about this story. Uh, that that they're that they're basically invading this planet to get, and there's Oil? there's an implica- there's an implication. I, 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 I seem to remember from the early part of the story that the Earth's already at war with somebody else, and we're just basically being imperialistic and, and attacking this planet to get the mineral. 
so so th- there th- there's a whole strain in this in this TV adaptation of of uh, human Earth imperialism to get this stuff to try to fix our planet and and it's sc- it's sc- screw the poor Rexorians we need this mineral so we're going to go and take it take the stuff yeah ah which, which ties in the whole, with the whole uh, very militaristic I will I will use the F word fascistic human government and what mm. they're doing and that that just that amps up the uh, the sympathy for the Rexorian who gets on board and and and, imperson- and impersonate impersonates Silas slash Lester because I mean ba- basically it, it it's an it's an act of defiance and rebellion against tyranny. Well, that would have been a decent episode if they just focused on like the the morality of empire in this context, where Earth is dying, needs resources, it, 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 needs they something. Made, they, these people aren't they, really humanoid, so are you know? Yeah. Do they have morality? That if they would have pushed that and explored that, they, they, they could have reduced the soft claw porn where the woman goes into the <laughs> underground and has lesbian sex and put more on the morality of empire. I agree it's with not you. Not even sex is just like it's is it's like just dress up. I mean, it was so <laughs> no, 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 no. I, I, I think, I think we're, I think we're pretty much given to expect that she's uh, finding, uh, finding comfort with random strangers, in, right? In, in a weird random place. Strangers, come in, on. A, Shouldn't it be like her secretary? Uh, uh, you know, you know, looking the at the brother. That, there's the sexual tension no, no, again. No, no, no. no, no. I, I was wondering the whole secretary slash assistant thing and her. I was wondering a lot. Worked with her for ten years. Was there a little bit something underwritten? Is she? Is, does she have a thing for her? Is there a jealousy? Is there a rivalry? There's something between her and her assistant that I that the that the episode doesn't quite tease out, but it's definitely there. Especially when they're both after after she decided to uh, ride around, and they're both sitting, and there's a glance between the two, and they're like, okay, so what? There's an unspoken story between the two of them that the episode doesn't get into, but there's something definitely there. Well, yeah, I'll tell well, you. What, way I'll sense. tell you what it is. It's there was a scene cut that that uh, said um, the assistant says to says, "Why don't you leave him? You're still sexually adequate, are you not?" <laughs> <laughs> yes. He- and then she pats her blonde hair and and blushes her cheeks and says, "Yes, I am. I could get right." No, 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 be, no, because because in the TV version, everybody everybody's uh, genetically matched up with each other. So no, she can't yeah. leave him. Yeah. She doesn't have that escape as she does in the book. Right. So so when given the opportunity to get a quote quote better Silas, of course she's going to take it. She's genetically matched up with him, and they have no children. Here's what I'm telling you. This story sucks. That adaptation was terrible, and I, it's just, it's just purely terrible. I want you to point. I want to point out how there is something mysterious, awesome going on in the short story background that we never hear about. I just love the setup. He's he's a uh, toxin specialist, right? And then listen to all the stuff that he has. This is in the space of three paragraphs. Um, it contains no factual information. He sent a report tape on the centauran parasitic life whizzing through his death scanner. Mentally an opinion and expression of emotion. Jill stumbled listlessly, blah, blah, blah. Conveyor belts in the wall hum to life. And then down here, not even for a month. When he comes, you can tell him, if you haven't the courage, I'll do it. I'll, I can't have you running, a child running around here. I have too much work to do. This report on Beetlejuice 11 is due in 10 days. Lester dropped a spool of Fomaholton 
fossil implements into the scanner. So these are all dead planets, right? That he's 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 uh, it's like what killed these people? Aha! Let's take. So there is uh, there's definitely um, uh, a whole background to this world with uh, the brother being a a lawyer for the basically. Uh, I was going to say ICE, but that's not the right word for it. It's the Border Patrol, right? He's a lawyer uh, for the Border Patrol and is saying who can come in and who can't. And they have this extraterritoriality um, thing. So if you're outside the borders of the Earth, you go to Guantanamo and get zapped with the vibe vibe tubes. And if you're um, on Earth or in America proper, you uh, still have your civil rights, supposedly. But uh, you don't even have to actually testify in court, he says to her. He says, um, just tape it and send it in. Right? So there are all sorts of ways they could have done something with this story. Right? And they chose to do something else. And I, I was like, it's just laziness and, or, or, some, or some sort of terrible supervision that makes it weak. And it should be good. This this could be a really good. I mean, imagine if it was shot in, Paul. Imagine if it was shot in black and white in a Fallout futuristic, 1950s. <laughs> okay, that okay okay I'll grant you that. It, uh, you know, make it an episode of the Twilight Zone that never happened, right? And even how ha- you could even have uh, you know some guy standing in the front saying, um, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, in introducing the scene. Have it a robant. Who knows? You can do all sorts of framing devices that make this story live in a way that it does on the page and doesn't on the screen. This has been the SFF Audio Podcast. Please join us at www.sffaudio.com. <laughs>